Good morning, Veritas, and good morning to all of you watching online. I'm really glad that you've joined us as well. Um, man, even uh, that prayer that Rebecca just offered, um, that idea of the infant baby Jesus, and, and when she even talked about his, his strength in that moment being confined into infancy, into mortality, is, is just mind-blowing. And um, I actually want us to go to Luke chapter 2. We're not going to stay there for very long, but I was reading through Luke chapter 2 this week, and that very idea that Rebecca just prayed with us and, and led us in, um, it came to life for me as I read Luke 2, this familiar passage, right? I mean, this is the Advent passage. This is the Luke 2. I mean, even if you watch Charlie Brown Christmas special, this is the passage Linus reads to everybody. So it should be pretty familiar. But man, it took on new life. Actually, though, the part for me that really stuck out um, occurred after the, the birth part of the narrative. And then it goes into kind of a time warp. And all of a sudden, we've gotten to Jesus is suddenly 12 years old and going back to Jerusalem for the Passover and, and that scene that happens in Luke chapter 2. But if you drop down, um, he, he kind of gets forgotten. His parents for, forget him back in Jerusalem and take off or back home, which might sound really like bad parenting or something, but I don't know if, how many of you guys come from big families, but I've been left before. I was the tail end. I was number five. I, I don't even know how many times I got left or forgotten. Although I do remember one time in particular, and then we're going to get back to Luke 2. Um, my family was part of this big drum and bugle core uh, band called uh, the Precisionaires. And my whole family was involved, and so there was this like caravan of buses and, and trucks and stuff. And uh, my parents were there, but they were on a different bus. And I remember just one time kind of getting mad at them and, and uh, got on a different bus with some of my buddies. And we got in the back because we were the kid brothers and sisters that really didn't belong, you know. So we're in the back. And so when I hear them calling over the CBs back in the day with the CBs to one another, has anybody seen Jeff? Has anybody seen? Because my parents are on a different bus, you know. And nobody can, because I'm hiding behind the thing. All of a sudden, the entire caravan, like, pulls over to the side of the road. And I glance out the window to see my mom just stomping down the thing to my bus. I'm like, oh, no. You know, anyway. They had forgotten me, but not for long. And that's what happens here. Um, they realize Jesus is back in Jerusalem. They get back there. And when they find him, look at, look at verse 46, Luke 2. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Okay, just that phrase right there. They find Jesus listening to them and asking them questions. And then all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Okay, you guys. The level of restraint that Jesus has here, he's pulling back his omniscience, his all-knowingness, He's, he's restraining back his glory, right? That glory that bursts under the scene, the light, the magnificent divine light. Like we saw that earlier in Luke chapter two, the glory of the Lord shone around them, right? All of that, he's holding back and restraining. He's the God of the universe. He's restraining back omniscience, glory, immediate justice, all these different attributes. He's holding back. He's sitting there listening to them and asking questions. And I just, in that moment, that's as far as I needed to go in the reading. I was like, Oh, Jesus, help me to learn your ways. Help me to learn how to 
pull back sometimes and actually be a learner and a listener and a, a, a guy that asks questions. And then what's crazy is I'll probably get a hearing then because then they turned around and would listen to Jesus and were astounded at the things he had to say. But it was preceded by his true, like, listening and, and leaning in and asking questions. I was like, wow, what an attitude we need right now. So, so many lessons in Advent and in the incarnation for us that, man, I tune my ears to hear these things. So we are in the Advent season. Today it's the Advent virtue of love, right? This is the one attribute that Jesus never restrained. <laughs> there was never a restraint on divine love. And the kind of love we're going to be talking about is a specific kind of love this morning. It's from a really deep and profound Hebrew word, hesed. And I want you just to see it on, on the screen because it's, it's just a beautiful language to see, right? It's just so unique, so ancient, looks so different. Um, you actually read it backward. Well, for us, it's backward. For them, it was the right way, okay? So that's like the H, the S, and the D in, in uh, our phonetics, hesed. Hesed is this strong Hebrew word for God's faithful love. Hesed is God's uh, loyal love. His I'm never going to leave you or forsake you love. So there's another Hebrew word, heved, that is way more the relational kind of love. So when Isaac talks about his love for his son. It's this aved. When, when we talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, it's that different word. It's a, but this is, what we want to talk about today is hesed, this God's faithful love. In fact, over 130 times we find this word in the Old Testament, and almost every time it's attributed to God's faithful love toward us. It's rarely one of those communicative attributes that we can actually take on for ourselves. We rarely love in the same way that God loves us with this loyal, faithful, never going to leave you kind of love. And here's what's interesting. I didn't know this until my study just this past week. This word has said often occurs with the imagery of sunrise. It's often used as light is dawning on a new day. Let me give you a couple examples of that. So um, Psalm 90 is the first one that I want to have you, and we're going to have these on the screens as well, but I, if you've got your Bible, it might be fun just to see these and underline these, but in Psalm 90 in verse 13, it says this, obviously a time of pain going on in the psalmist, because he says, Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love. See the, the combination there of a new day dawning, morning. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. I want you to go to Psalm 143 with me. Psalm 143 and look at verse seven. Once again, the psalmist is obviously uh, in peril. So he's crying out for help and he says in Psalm 143 verse seven, answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me or I will be like those going down to the pit. Let me experience your faithful love in the morning. Isn't that intriguing? Let me experience your faithful love in the morning for I trust you. And, and this is cool. Reveal to me the way I should go. Like in the morning, you know, when all things become 
clear when you can finally see, right? Reveal to me the way I should go because I appeal to you. Rescue me like that hope of a new day, the hope of a rescue. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I come to you for protection. There it is, that has said. He's appealing to his faithful love. I want you to go next to Lamentations. It's right after the big book of Jeremiah. The book of Lamentations uh, this is probably the crowning jewel of Hesed is Lamentations 3, verse 22. This is one of the maybe most familiar verses where you'd find Hesed. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is that faithfulness. So God's faithful love, that loyal, never going to leave, I'm there for you, constancy, that, that covenant love, right? And, and I think the reason that it's connected often to mourning is because it's at night that we're most afraid, right? It's at night that the fears creep up. It's at night that we don't know what's coming. We can't see what's going on, and, and there's mystery to it, and there's fear in that. And he's like, I just need you to break upon this darkness with your faithful love. I need dawn to suddenly come. I need sunrise to suddenly come because I'm afraid and it's dark and it's scary and there's so much unknown in the darkness. And I was, I was thinking about like the way a child will, like if, if they're afraid at night. I remember these times when my kids were little and uh, they'd be afraid and they'd want me to come, you know, running in. And, and then if I was either laying on their bed or laying on the floor, sometimes I'd lay on the floor because it was easier to escape once they got to sleep, you know, I'm probably giving away secrets to parents out there, but that was the reason I wanted to lay on the floor is because creeping off their bed when they were in that place, they're like, no, get back here, you know, whatever. So, but you remember in those times where it's dark and it's scary and all of a sudden they, you'd, you'd see them like, whoosh, look over the side of the bed, make sure you're still there. Oh, okay, okay. You know, like, whoosh, reach over and grab, a, uh, you know, my shoulder or something like, okay, okay, still there. Like why the psalmist is crying out for morning, the break of day is, I want to see. I, want, I can't see right now, and I'm afraid, and I, and I just need to know your faithful love is still there. Here's the deal. God's faithful love is always there. It's just we need the light to show us it, right? Still there, God. Okay, you're still there. All is well. God's faithful love shows us what our mortal eyes can't see. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pull trust from us. We're going to have to trust that, that that faithful love is there even when our mortal eyes can't see. So I want, I want us to just meditate on God's faithful love. Advent has said faithful love, and I want to see it in these ways. The first way is this. God's faithful love, his has said kind of love, actually shows me that there's design when all I can see is chaos. His faithful love gives me the ability to see that, oh no, there's actually design here because all I can see with my mortal eyes is chaos. Um, I'm going to appeal to the earliest verse in our whole Bible, Genesis 1. And you, you've heard me reference this before, but it, it, it bears bringing out again because here's the way this whole book opens to us is darkness and chaos, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. It was chaotic, okay? Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and then God broke in. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Light was good. The first 
ordering, the first aspect of design of, that, that we can see here is light shining in the midst of chaos, right? So that, that basic storyline of, of chaos all around us, darkness all around us, I, I can't see any design in this at all, is God bringing light to it. And that becomes almost a metaphor of now his, his loving kindness. I want you to flip way into the New Testament to, to back this up by going to Hebrews chapter 11. So the way that God is going to continue to show us that there's design even when we can't see it, and all we see is chaos, I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, on the screen, I'll have verse 3 up there, but I want you to see the first couple verses here. It says, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. I can't see it. So th- there's got to be a faith that reaches out and sees kind of or holds on to that which I, with my mortal eyes, can't see. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval by this. Okay, so here's verse three. But we, by faith, we understand. Okay, it's gotta be by faith. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen now was made from things that are not visible. He's saying the ancients are commended because they realize there's actually two dimensions to this life. There's what we can see very plainly and then there's the unseen, what God has done. And so everything that we can see is done by that unseen hand that that is not visible to us, but he's there. He's there all the time. Every now and then, we just want to see that glimpse of it, right? So when you drop down to verse 6, one of my favorite verses, actually, in the whole Bible, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He's there. I don't see him right now. I see darkness. I don't see the design in this, right? I, I just see chaos, but he is there. Hebrews 11 people, faithful people, believe God is doing something in our midst even when we can't fully see it, right? So here's the deal. Right now, you guys, um, you know, all the kind of snickers about 2020 and, uh, you know, just get us out of this year or whatever. And, and it's, it's kind of true that we're seeing a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, right? With when it comes to the pandemic, it's all of a sudden looking like, oh, this vaccine and there's hope and maybe things will come to an end on that, right? The election that caused so much chaos, man, at least maybe, maybe things are going to come to an end and we're going to have this peaceful transition of power, right? There's like some glimpse of light, but here's the reality. Here's what we know. That's going to be followed by some other new level of chaos, right? We know that this is true. Everything is going to bring us opportunities to see only darkness, only chaos instead of design. But guys, we of all people have to keep remembering, no, there is a God behind it all. In the midst of that darkness and chaos, there's a God who's going to shine light on it all. And we have to see his design. I just feel like you guys, of all the people on earth in moments like this, guys, we're the faith people. We're the ones who are to see the design behind all the chaos. We're the ones who have to see hope when so many friends, family, or whatever have that chicken little syndrome. You know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, right? We're the ones that are like, no, 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 it's okay. We, we hold on to hope in these moments, 
We're the ones that grab onto Advent peace, right? When everybody else is calling for war and them and division. We're the ones who call for peace. We're the ones who call for joy when despair is like palpable all around us. The darkness is all around us. We're the ones who find joy in it all. Why? Because we know that there's design behind that chaos. We're Hebrews 11 people. We're the ones who say we have faith. There's two dimensions to what's going on here. I see the human dimension, and it looks bad. I, I'm with you. It looks bad. I'm not, I don't have like that ostrich thing with my head in the sand. No, I see exactly what you're all seeing, but I see a God behind it, and by faith, I'm following him and holding on to him. That's his faithful love pulling me through. But another way we see God's faithful love is that he shows me that there's purpose when all I see is suffering. Not just the chaos, but now I'm, I'm also seeing purpose in the midst of suffering, I want us to go back to Lamentations again, uh, because Lamentations chapter 3, I, we were already there for an earlier couple of verses, but later on in that same chapter, in Lamentations chapter 3, he says this, verse 31, for the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. There it is again, that faithful has said love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. Just that phrase there, even if he causes the suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. Um, Suffering is never enjoyable in the moment. Guys, we don't minimize suffering for a moment. We, We see things clearly and we embrace that there is real suffering. But I'm telling you guys, and you know this from your own experience as well, I have learned some of the most magnificent lessons, the the purposeful lessons of God because of suffering, not the absence of it. I'll, I'll tell you when I learned deeply and profoundly that I was not entitled to my best life now (laughs) as a Christian. Here's when it happened for me. I mean, I always kind of knew that, like I could say, here's when I felt it and embraced it deeply. I had just gotten done with graduate school, which for guys in ministry is seminary. So I had gone out to LA and gotten this seminary degree. And I'm kind of on top of the world. I'm thinking, now I've got this, you know, sheepskin and I'm going to go out and conquer the world now. This is my gateway to my best life now, right? And my first job right out of seminary was up in this rural part of northern Iowa, and I got the tar beat out of me for like two years. It was a beat down for like two years. It was one of the most miserable two years of my life. Sorry for anybody that's from that community and knows what I'm talking about. I'm just going to keep going because it was horrible for me. And yet, I am saying this to this day, you guys. Some of the life lessons I learned, some of the ways that God met me in those years, I wouldn't trade for anything on this planet. And especially that idea that I'm not entitled to my best life now. In fact, what I'm entitled to is holding on to God in the midst of that kind of suffering. And I'm telling you, his nearness was outrageous. I I wish I could experience sometimes that kind of nearness when things aren't so bad off because he was drawing near to me in this beautiful, glorious way. And I learned deeply and profoundly, no, life, you know what? There's not always a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. In fact, there's not always a rainbow at the end of every storm. Sometimes you're in a sustained time of suffering and that's when God draws near. That's his faithful love right there. 
You know when I learned that children are actually a gift and also not an entitlement? That if I were to ever have children, it would be a gift and not something just to be expected or an entitlement? It's when two of my four kids almost slipped right back out of my fingertips right after they were born. I watched them hover between life and death, and there was something magnificent about the gift of those children that I would have never experienced had I not done that. But you know what else? When I actually got to hold the lifeless children of some dear friends of mine, those that didn't make it through. Twice I've had this experience with dear friends. And I'm telling you guys, in those moments, God was teaching me something so deep and so profound that I could have learned in no other way. And, and the purpose that he had, the glorious stories that have followed the unbelievable like completion of faith that I saw in these dear friends of mine and in my own soul, um, I, I'm telling you, those are lessons God reached through the darkness and grabbed me with his faithful love in ways that I, I, I'm astounded by to this day, purpose in the midst of suffering. And you guys have your own stories that I'm sure could match mine. So I want to turn, there's one passage that frankly I don't really like very much. Um, and I know that's probably not very pastoral to say, but in James chapter 1, I want you to look with me at James chapter 1. There's a passage that I actually don't, don't like really at all, um, but I know it's true. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because here's what you know. You know this. He's not trying to tell them something new. He's saying, you dig down in your soul. You know this. The testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Here's the reality. I was lacking stuff that only the trial was going to be able to bring. And without it, I was going to be I was going to remain incomplete. So I'm going to read those verses out of the message. It's pretty profound. Listen to this. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. A gift. He has the audacity to say, you just count this a gift, right? What? I'm being crippled with this pain, with this suffering. When you're under pressure, consider it a gift, right? You know, he says, that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open. (laughs) And it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. And here it is. So you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Guys, the purpose of those trials, that darkness, that suffering, is because there's things that you're deficient in. You are. And you don't even know where those deficiencies lie because it's the trials that actually zoom in on those and show you where those are and then complete you in ways that nothing else can. No other tool in God's tool belt will bring that completion to your faith the way that the trials, the suffering can. There's purpose. There's design and there's purpose. It's taking you somewhere. And then lastly, here's the deal. God's faithful love shows me that there's life when all I can see is death. 
So for that, I want us to go to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And I want you to see in chapter 15, Mark 15, this is referring not to the birth of Christ, we're to the other end of this book, where it's the death of Jesus on the cross. And it says this, when it was noon, Jesus is on the cross, when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out. Oh, it's just imagine this scene. I, I know you've been here before, but I just want you to imagine this scene, guys. The midday, like the brightest part of the day. And it's not just that you get some cloud cover. It's not just that you get that gray, cloudy, opaque sky. We're talking about sheer darkness, black of night darkness. At one moment, it's high noon. It's, it's Palestine. You've got the hot sun on you. And in a moment, Wham! It is the darkest part of the night for hours. And in the darkness, you hear this. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That fear of mortal death, that fear of separation, the mystery of all that was actually going to happen once he gave up his spirit, the loneliness, it was all just so palpable and darkness reigned in that moment. But that's Friday, right? And, and I love this, this old preacher. <laughs> Think, do you guys ever listen to Dr. Tony Evans from Dallas, Dr. Tony Evans? He like more yells his sermons than, than preaches them or says them, you know, and he's got this girl. I can't believe he, he still has a voice after all the years I've been listening to him. He just yells, you know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I was just listening to him do it again. It's just so, I love it, you know, because that's what's going on. It's Friday, you know, and I cannot do a Tony Evans imitation here, but it's Friday and it's dark and it's scary and there's chaos and there's suffering, and there's all that going on all around Jesus, but what we know is Sunday's coming, right? Sunday's coming. So when you get to chapter 16, look at verse 2. Very early in the morning. It's just this beautiful said moment, right? Love is going to be drawing this through. Here's this said. It's in the morning now. In the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise, and they were saying to one another, well, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? And Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And he says, don't be alarmed. He's told them, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. You saw it, right? You know, But he has risen. He's not here. See the place where they put him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there, just as he told you. Light of a new day, hope dawns, darkness was raining, but now morning has come. Faithful love is all around. Now, why do I say we can see faithful love even in this moment? Here's why, guys. When Jesus rose, what happened? After the resurrection, what happened? Well, certainly the ascension to just a glorious reunion like the darkness, that separation from the Father, now he's back. So there's all that, that glorious reunion in heaven. But there's more than that. Why was Jesus, when he, when he talked to his disciples about that time he was going to go away, why did he tell them he was going to go away? 
to prepare a place for all of us, right? Yes, it was for a reunion, but it was also out of his love for us to be able to say, look, when I busted through the gates of death and hell and all that, it wasn't just to get through for myself and then lock the door behind me. No, it was to bust through the gate and let that gate stand open so all of us could follow through. And so now, all of a sudden, death, though still scary, Though still chaotic, though there's a lot of mystery in that, we can have that fear. We know that ultimately that fear will be dispelled because there's life on the other side of that death. There's light on the other side of that darkness. Jesus has busted open the way for life, eternal life for all of us who would follow him through, right? Has said God's faithful, loyal, never going to leave you love. And so because of that, right, he, he, he turns even chaos and all of a sudden there's design in this. I can, I can keep going. There's, there's all of a sudden purpose in everything that's going on in the darkness because all of a sudden Jesus is the one leading me there and he's wanting to complete some things in me. And now I know that I can have hope and I can have peace and I can have joy. I can experience his love and I can experience his, his life. Why? Because... Jesus restrained a lot of stuff in the incarnation, held back a lot of stuff, his omniscience and his glory at times, well, except like on the transfiguration, right? Boom, he, every now and then kind of let us see all that he was. But one thing he never, ever restrained was his love for us, which is why today what we're going to do is celebrate the love of Jesus by going past his birth at Advent to his death, his burial, and his resurrection by celebrating communion together. So I want to talk about that and how we're going to do that. But right now, I just want us to dwell in this moment. So will you bow with me as, as we pray? Jesus, here's what you tell us in one of the more beautiful passages that bring us into Advent, Lord. You tell us that People walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Lord, today we celebrate the bright light of your faithful love, your loyal love. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would experience, even in the midst of this darkness, even in the midst of this fearful chaos, especially, Lord, for some in the room right now, even in the midst of just crushing suffering, remind us of your faithful, loyal, I'm never going to leave you, love. Demonstrated profoundly in the cross, profoundly in the resurrection. There we find your love, Lord. Restore to us that love. Secure us in that love today. That's our prayer in Christ's name.